0: You are listening to the podcasts of Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. I'm going to open it by telling a story. This is a story about two brothers. I came across it in my study. Uh, I heard it from a man named Michael DeFazio. He said it's an old Jewish story. These two brothers, they lived and farmed right next to each other. There was an older brother who was in his mid-30s, and he had a family, a wife and some kids, and the younger brother in his early 20s, who was single and, and just lived alone. And one day, as the older son was working, he thought about his younger brother, and he wondered what would happen if he got hurt. So out of compassion, he decided that night to fill a bag of grain From his bin and take it across to his brother's farm and dump it in his bin just in case, so he'd have a little extra. And then later that week, the younger brother was thinking about his older brother and wondering what would happen if his older brother got hurt. Um, So, out of compassion, he started filling a bag of grain from his own bin and taking it every night over to his brother's and dumping it there. And this continued for a while, the two brothers passing each other at different times in the night and both not suspecting the other but also wondering why their grain bin didn't seem to get any less full. And then finally one night, the two brothers filled their bags at the same time and as they crossed to each other's farms, they saw each other in the moonlight and in that moment they realized what had been happening and they dropped their bags on the ground and they embraced each other. And as the story goes, I'd say this would be the moral of the story. God looks down from heaven and says, This spot of their embrace will be the place where I will build my temple. For my presence is most clearly made known where, bro- where brothers dwell together in such unity. This story illustrates that unity is a sign of God's presence here with us on earth. So when we, God's people, offer reconciliation, as in our story of Hans and Anna, striving for unity, we show a broken world that God dwells here on earth. God dwells in his people, in his church. So we're going to be continuing our series. I'm Steve Poole. I'm the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries here at Cedar Hills. Thanks for choosing to worship with us today. Our series is called Love, Belongs, Serve. I think you'll see those um, around in the, in the imagery that we're using, the, our backgrounds and things like that. Um, we are studying the book of Ephesians, and today we're in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and start turning there or turn so on your, de- on your devices. Last week... Uh, we started off Ephesians two, and Pastor Kent did a great job of, of just uh, talking about how amazing the grace and mercy of God is and what it accomplishes in our lives and That was verse uh, Ephesians two one through ten we 're going to start in verse eleven so we 're going to be reading ephesians two eleven through twenty two today and As you turn there, I just want to say I think the main uh, the main idea that the Paul is trying to communicate to us is this, that God's grace produces reconciliation. God's grace produces reconciliation in his people and in our communities. Let's see if I can get that up there. God's grace produces reconciliation. I think the converse, those of you math people, the converse of a statement is also true and significant for us, that the unnatural unity of God's people demonstrates the power of God's grace. I believe that the unnatural unity of God's people demonstrates the power of God's grace. And I think that's one thing that Paul is trying to teach us here. So we're going to read this passage and hear the words of God spoken in this letter to the Ephesians church from our brother Paul. I'm reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible. So then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by those who are the circumcision, which is done by the flesh, in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners in the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world." But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one, and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations, so that he might create for himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this... So that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came to proclaim the good news of peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Built together on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. In him the whole building being put together grows into the holy temple in the Lord. In him you are being, you're also being built together into the dwelling of God's spirit. Wow. Wow. We hear Paul speak about an amazing unity here. Here's just a couple of the things that I highlighted. Verse 14, he says, He is our peace. This peace that, that existed in the early church that they were striving for didn't come from their own strength, but it's his peace. It's the peace of God expressed in his people when he made both groups one by tearing down the dividing wall. Verse 15, he says, To create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. Also, they had access in one spirit. That's in verse 18. And they were no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens and saints, members of God's household. We, brothers and sisters, have been united in the adoption we have into God's family through Christ Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Where even it goes beyond that, we are being fitted together, built together into the dwelling place of God in the spirit. God has given us, his people, the privilege of being his dwelling place. No longer in the temple, separated by the veil. When Christ died, the veil was torn. And the very presence of God now is expressed in his holy people. A citizenship created to himself in in Christ Jesus. So these two groups are united by God's expressed love on the cross. We have new belonging together as brothers and sisters in God's kingdom. God is using them together to build that new dwelling place. And this is an amazing truth for us. And even a challenging truth. That we ought to be united enough that God's presence is shown to the world through our unity. To understand, I believe... The depth of this call to unity and how difficult it was, you have to understand the history of the enmity between the Jews and the Gentiles and what was going on, this conflict between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. First, you need to know that the Jews viewed themselves as God's people. Right? They were chosen by God when He selected Abraham and called him and made a covenant with him. So some of them started to believe um, that this this non fact that god wasn 't teaching them that because they were selected that they were better than other people they started to believe that because they had the law and they followed the law that that somehow made them more uh, more righteous in the fact that they they were more right with god um, and and, w- <laughs> and we see that we see here that uh, that Paul is calling these Jewish and these Gentile believers to come together the Jewish the Jewish people, the, their leaders taught wrongly that salvation came by observing law. Over six 600 of them. And one law was even that you couldn't even enter the house of a Gentile. That's how strict their laws were regarding separating Gentiles from Jews. If you went to their house it made you unholy. It was, like, it was a sin. It was something that separated you from God. And Paul is saying that no. That these two groups are made one. They have a new belonging that's per, that, surpasses their previous identity it's more important than their allegiance to nationality to race to creed is this idea that they are now sons and daughters of Christ they are in the kingdom of god so i believe one of the key ideas here is that jew and gentiles jews and gentiles have a new belonging that is greater than their identity as gentile and jew they are now christian they are part of God's kingdom. One is significant, I think, uh, difference is for us to recognize that Paul is not abolishing the Abrahamic covenant. He's not saying that um, this is something apart from the promise that God made to Abraham, but that it's a fulfillment of the promise. We're going to read Romans eleven seventeen. 17. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Romans eleven seventeen 17 says this, But some of these branches of Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment of the root of God's special olive tree. We see here that the Gentile believers coming to God is not apart from the promise to Abraham, but a fulfillment of that promise in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 7 through 9 says, and you can turn there as well, Galatians 3, verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And announced the gospel in advance to Abraham when he said this, All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And in 14 it says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So God is not abolishing the old covenant. God is not abolishing his old promise to Abraham. He is saying that now, through Christ Jesus, the the veil has been torn and it's an open promise and the Gentiles can be united to God through faith the same way that the Hebrews throughout history have been united to God through faith. The law was always pointing them to the need for faith in God and this is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. So this conflict was so severe. You have these people who who grew up with their identity being following the law. And now they're believing in Christ. Which laws do I still follow? And do I need to teach all the Christians to follow all these 600 laws? Which ones are the most important? And this created great conflict in the early church. I think this conflict between Jewish and Gentile believers was probably one of the most severe issues facing the early church. And it shows up in the book of Acts. If you don't know, the book of Acts is a book written that shows What happened to the early church? Christ rose again. He taught his people. He ascended to heaven. And then you've got Peter preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit falling, and you've got the the word going out throughout the known world. And in Acts 10, I'm going to start there, Um, there's a story of a man named Cornelius. He's a Gentile. And God gives him a vision and says, send one of your servants and gives him the exact place where he needs to go to find Peter. And, he, and God gives a vision to Peter. He's up on a roof. He's hungry. And this sheet comes out of heaven. And there's all these unclean animals on it. And Peter's like, I'm not going to eat this. And this is what God says to Peter. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. And given the context, I think that's much greater than, than talking about food laws. It's saying that God is opening this up to the, the unclean people. Because right then, the, uh, the servant from Cornelius comes and God says, Peter, go with that man. And Peter goes to his house. He eats with this Gentile and his family. But more than that, he shares the gospel And Cornelius' family responds in faith. They believe in Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit falls on him and his family the same way it has fallen on the Jews. And that's very significant. The power of God demonstrated in his believers is evidence that both Gentile and Jewish believers are united. Because when Peter comes back, this is in chapter 11, the other Jewish believers question him. They say, you went to the house of an uncircumcised man and ate with him? Like, seriously, you can't do that, Peter. That's against the law, the law of Moses. But Peter tells him the story. And in verse 18, when he's done telling the story, it says that they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying... Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. He God broke down their preconceptions about who was going to be acceptable and how they were going to get there. In Christ Jesus, having faith in Christ Jesus, you can have that unity with Jewish believers, with the past believers, because we are saved by, uh, by faith, by grace through faith and not of works, lest any man should boast. So there is this problem, but it doesn't stop there. If you go to Acts 15, we see this comes up again. Paul is now gone out. He's a church planner with Barnabas, and they've planted churches all through the known world. And these Jewish Christians are coming, and they're saying, you must be circumcised to be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas have conflict with them, and they, they debate this issue, and it becomes so heated that they call Um, they they call the elders and the apostles together and they have a, a big church meeting and they discuss this issue and Peter comes back to that moment when God sent him to the Gentiles and gave them the same Holy Spirit that he gave the Jewish believers and he says, look, our ancestors never could live up to the law. Why would we put the law on these Gentile believers who are saved by faith the same way that you and I are? And they made decisions... And so you need to know that when Ephesians 2 says that Jewish believers and Gentile believers united, that was a big deal. That was a difficult ask. That when, when God says through Paul, he did so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross and put to death the hostility. This was controversial. There were people reading this who didn't like those words. They were much more comfortable having Jewish believers here and Gentile believers here and not really coming together in unity because of their preconceived notions, maybe even their prejudices. And there were probably Gentile believers who had been persecuted and weren't sure about joining with these Jewish believers and and the history of the law they had and, and how confusing that was to them as well. But I think one of the biggest things we see is that God's power is displayed in his early church by the way they laid down their prejudice and sought reconciliation with their brothers and sisters who were different from them. If you look at the book of Acts, that's one way that God was glorified in those early days is that his people, the church, set aside those prejudices and reconciled with their brothers and sisters. So how does this impact us today? Here at Cedar Hills Church, most, if not all of us, are Gentile believers, right? And we've probably never had the debate with our friends about whether or not salvation comes with circumcision or not. But I'd like to suggest there are some other divisive issues that might apply to this same understanding. So I'm going to read some of these for you. We should be a church, I think Paul would say to us, we should be a church where Him people are united with contemporary worship people. This one maybe hurts a little more. I believe Paul in his writing would say, we should be a church where Democrats should be united with Republicans. That we can disagree civilly about our political affiliations and beliefs, but we have a greater belief than that. We have a belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and we can have unity in the calling we have to be the nation of God, preaching the gospel and making disciples, and that should supersede our other beliefs this one is close to my heart with my position here at church, is I believe that we should be a church where Gen Zers are united with boomers. I believe God is glorified in a multi-generational church. God is glorified when, when a grandparent hangs out with a teenager and teaches them to fish or go. Or, or or um, even worships together and and tries to learn a teenager's favorite song or when teenagers go to an older adult and and, and listen. I think God is glorified when Gen Zers and Baby Boomers and Gen Xers are united. Just like our story, when the two brothers were united, the presence of God is there. This one is maybe another one that, that you've thought about. We must be a church where first service people are united with second service people. And right now we are, right? We're all united as Watch Church Online people. (laughs) So maybe we'll have to think about that when we get back together. This one has been hard this week as I have thought about it and listened to people's posts. It's easier when I actually have conversations with people. But um, we need to be a church where stay-at-home people are united with open-up-the-economy people. Yeah, it's hard because we have such deep beliefs Some of us believe that if we open up, we're going to cause more people to die and shame on you for killing people. And other people look at it and say, if we don't open up, more people are going to lose their job and people are going to die because of the consequences of joblessness. And I'm going to tell you that God would say that there's something greater than your belief on these issues. It's your belief in God in their faith in Jesus Christ that can unite us beyond these. And as we as a church consider the question, when do we open up? How do we open up? How do we organize that? I pray that we would be known as a church that have grace and mercy with each other, that seeks unity and not division over this issue. Because everybody's divided over it. I think we should be a place Where white believers can worship with black believers. We should be a place where Americans can worship with Chinese believers. We can be a place even where Packers fans can worship with Bears fans. Or Chiefs fans? Any Chiefs fans out there? (laughs) Wow, you might be thinking, Steve, you're really meddling now. (laughs) But it's not me that's meddling, it's God that's meddling. I think God is saying that our identity as God's holy church should unite us more than these non-essential, non-theological issues should divide us. And I'm not saying we should be a homogenized church. I'm not saying we should all agree on our political beliefs. I'm not saying we all have to agree generationally. We all have to agree on these things. I'm saying that God is glorified when his diverse church models diverse unity for a broken world. I think if you look at, at at revelation there's a vision of a multi-generation multinational people from every language, every tongue, every tribe worshiping the father and God is glorified by that. I think that God's plan has always been for a diverse church to model diverse unity to a broken world. And maybe diverse unity sounds like an oxymoron to you. But I think in Christ only that can be accomplished. So let's look at a few applications. One, maybe you're here and, and the be- first thing you need to do is you need to pray. Pray for our church as we go through looking at reopening and having those discussions. Pray for unity over our church. Pray for unity over our denomination, the Reformed Church of America. Pray for unity for the American church and the church global. Pray that God would change your heart and help you love others who are different than you. Two, This is very specific to you. I'd invite you to invite the Holy Spirit to put someone's name on your heart. Put one of these issues and a person's name on your heart and you need to reach out and reconcile with them. Maybe it's a family member you've been estranged with for years. I don't know what it is in your situation, but I know the Spirit does. And if you invite the Holy Spirit to give you a name, then this week you'd be brave enough to call them, brave enough to send them a letter, brave enough to text them. Not because whatever happened, they were right and you were wrong, but because unity is more important than being right or wrong on certain issues. Three... Instead of making an insulting, divisive post on social media, I pray that you'd have a civil conversation with someone. Our country would be much better if we, if we improved our ability to have civil conversations over our differences. Number four, uh, instead of assuming that those you d- disagree with are uneducated or unkind, believe the best of them and listen to them instead of judging their motives. I think especially... In our culture, it's easy to judge other people's motives. To say, because you believe this, you must feel this way. But that's not a true thing. They believe this. There's any number of reasons why they could believe that. You need to listen to people and seek unity with them. Instead of judging their motives without having a conversation. I want to finish with a story, hopefully, to call us to the, and reveal the beauty of unity this has to do with racial reconciliation. The anniversary of this was just a few weeks ago. In April 1969, more than hundred black students at Cornell University took over the student uni- uh, union by military force. And um, they were protesting the lack of black studies programs at the university and the treatment of those students as second-class citizens. One of the most inflammatory was a young man named Thomas W. Jones. The 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 takeover lasted about 34 hours, and in the end, Thomas Jones was the one of the last people to leave, his fist still raised and rifle in his hand. But fortunately, the story doesn't end there. Cornell went on to fix their issues. They told the president James Perkins to resign. And Thomas Jones, this, this angry young man, went on to get his master's degree from Cornell and be a, a great businessman. And in 1993, he was invited to the Board of Trustees. And in 1995, he, was even, he even put an endowment in place. And he named it after James per- Perkins, that same president who was forced to resign. Because he said this, James Perkins was one of the earliest people to create an enrollment drive to enroll black students. He said, I simply feel that we need to acknowledge that he's an extremely decent man who had the courage to do what is right thing in trying to help America solve its racial problems by improving educational access for minorities. At the ceremony, Jones and Perkins sat side by side, two people that were maybe one time foes or on separate sides of an issue were united. And this this, this shows us racial reconciliation is possible. But even more than that, it shows that it's beautiful. I believe that reconciliation, whatever form it takes, political reconciliation, relational reconciliation, um, racial reconciliation, it glorifies God when his people choose to be united instead of divided. Just like our first story told. I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer. God, I just thank you so much for Christ. I thank you that in him, you make us into new creations. In him, we have a new identity. The old self is gone. The old self is, sacri- is, is placed on the cross with Christ Jesus. And in his resurrection, we see we also have this newness of life. We have your very spirit living in us. And out of the strength of that spirit only, we're able to call for diverse unity in the church. I pray for everybody hearing this, and everybody who's going to hear it the next couple weeks and months, I pray that you would be right now placing the name of someone on our heart and in our mind. Somebody that we need to be reconciled with. I pray that we would take seriously the call to be a unified church because when your church is unified, you are glorified. We become that temple that you've called us to be, where your spirit dwells, and the whole earth can see your glory in your church. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray you were blessed by today's message from Cedar Hills Community Church. For more information about our church or how to support our ministry, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.